everybody listen to We're Not Wizards. Because we are the best. And we're not wizards. No matter what anybody says. Goodbye. Welcome to another episode of We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I'll be your host for... Is it March? Is it February? We don't know. This could be released any time at all. It could be Monday, it could be a Tuesday, it could be a Friday, it could be a Saturday. It could be no day at all. But Because uh, at the end of the day, it's your podcast. Now, <clears throat> joining me today is a gentleman who, if you rolled some dice... There's a potentiality that he's not just going to take an action; he's going to write something down. It's a, it's a guy who um, he likes his he likes his rolls and writes. He likes um, he likes dealing with inkwells. This man is uh, is Joey Schalten, and he is part of Inkwell Games, and he specialises in the roll and write genre, which is. It's, it's very hot and very interesting and very exciting. So we thought we'd have him on to have a chat. So, hello, Joey. Hi, Richard. Hi. Thank you for having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Um, yeah. This is been looking forward to this for a for a for a while. Um, how are you doing? First of all, are you well? Are you good? Yeah, I'm doing great. You know, uh, yeah, we've been having lovely weather around here. Very much spring weather. So you know. Yeah. It's been well, you know, taking walks on the beach and whatnot. It's it's been lovely, so uh, yeah, I can't complain really. <laughs> That's good. Have you had the really hot weather? Because we've been having days where it's been, it's been about it's it's hit the fifties in terms of temperature, fifty four, fifty five, fifty six Fahrenheit, or about um, which is about what fifteen to twenty degrees, which we normally never ever get in February. It's absolute um, kind of madness. And then yeah. today, today it went down to four degrees, so it got to be <laughs> so it got to be really really cold. And uh, so it's not the not the not the kind of the best. Um, yeah. For I guess we should do the the kind of the admin bit for people who haven't joined us for the first time. Thank you for joining us. The reason that we do this is because I like speaking to people. That's, and if you like doing something as long as it's legal, it's a perfectly good excuse to keep keep doing those things. And the other reason that we do this is, well, as I say, um, me and Joey kind of spoke back and forward over the last kind of three, four months. And um, we wanted to have a chat. And he, as I say, he's involved in being, he's head of development in Quail Games. And they specialise, um, well, they do quite a few things, but one of the things they deal with is kind of roll and write games. So, it's been a very popular genre, so we thought we'd get an expert on to kind of talk about it. But before we do that, we want to find out a little bit about your kind of your history with a hobby. So you want to tell yeah. us a little bit about how you got got involved? Yeah, um, I used to be in, in a very very far away past. Used to be uh, basically just a, a magic player. 
like um, when I was small, you know, when I was a tiny kid of like eight or nine, I picked up magic cards. They ended up in a shoebox in the attic for like 10 years. And when I was about 16, 17, uh, I found the shoebox again. And it happened that all my friends also played magic and whatnot. So we got really into magic, into all of that cardboard. Mm-hmm. And then one day, the people I regularly play with invited me off to play Ascension, uh, which oh, is this okay. deck building game, which is yeah. on the one hand really different. On the other hand, you know, you're still shuffling cardboard around. And um, even though there was a bit of a weird game night, we were there with like eight or nine people playing literally the same games with a downtime in double digits. Um, it stuck. So from then on, basically, I started moving into board games more and more. And that's been like about 12 years ago. And since then, I've been trying out more and more board games, uh, doing more stuff. And well, over the past decade, I've collected a decent amount of, of board games. How many is a decent amount? You don't get away with saying it's uh, a decent amount. We want we want numbers, Joey. We want facts. We want figures. We want numbers. We want facts. Well, uh, I want to bet that I easily hit over fifty. Ah, you're just an amateur then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but I've that's also like not really counting all of the rolling rights because that's a lot. That's at least over thirty on its own, and it's really coming. Uh, maybe seventy. Wow. wow. That's a re- that is a reasonable number. Um, what have you still got your magic cards then, or did you do the right thing and kind of burn them and then bury them in the ground, or do you still have that kind of shoebox kind of feel? Uh, I passed on the entire well, the entire collection uh, to my little brother at some point. Wow. Um, yeah, I moved to Amsterdam. Uh-huh. And in Amsterdam, like I went there to go study, um, there wasn't that much of a magic scene, funnily enough. Like that's much, right. very much living room magic, and it wasn't really a game store where you could play. Huh. So I didn't really play that much, and I just basically gave them all to my little brother, and he's uh-huh. still having tons of fun with it. Still play a bit online on Magic Arena or whatnot. Yeah. But it's one of those lifestyle games I just don't really have the time for anymore. You know, there's so much effort and, and preparation that goes into what's actually just playing a game of cards. Like, I don't have the time for it. I'd rather play stuff like Keyforge now or like mm-hmm. uh, just basically just board games because I don't need to spend hours on the internet or shuffling through shoeboxes to get a game together, really. Yeah, I've always wondered about that because I know some people that all they did for years was just play magic and then once you kind of scratch the surface of it and once you kind of get to get involved with it you can see why um it's almost like do you know when people have like they buy a playstation and they're the type of people that they have a copy of fifa the latest football game or a copy of like <laughs> call of duty and you're like well why why is it you've only going to got that you haven't got anything else and i think magic is kind of like can be like that there are just people that all they do is play magic and if they're not playing magic then they're organizing decks and if they're not organizing decks then they're kind of searching for the stuff that they want to get their hands on kind of thing so it's kind of kind of interesting was there cards in the collection that you gave to your brother that were kind of worth anything at all or did it did it not was it not really something you even were fussed about 
Uh, I wasn't really fussed about it uh, because he was still a very active player. And, you know, if you're like brothers living in the same house, both playing the same game, you know, the collections are going to mingle in any case. So uh, there was all sorts of stuff in there that was just still useful and that he still plays with right now. Uh, And that's just fine, you know. Like, you have people that play these kind of games for the money. Mm-hmm. Who go in like, oh, this card is worth 50 bucks and I'm going to hold on to it and try to resell it, the entire finance section in Magic. Uh, that's something I did for a while, selling cards online and buying them. But it's when I quit, it was kind of like I just want to be done with it because yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it's just too much at some point. Just It eats up all your time. And uh, even if though I went back to other trading card games after... Mm-hmm. It luckily never got that bad because uh, Magic has the problem is that you can play it in a gazillion ways. Um, so once you're done playing one version of Magic, you go play with other people, play the other version of Magic. Yeah. And so you're yeah. basically just playing the same game five different ways. Um, it just, who's um, yeah, who's yeah. better between you, you and your brother? Who's the better now, Magic player? By now, he's the way better Magic player. Uh, really? Yeah. I bet, you ma- I bet he makes you aware of that as well. I bet he constantly reminds you that he's a better player. <laughs> well, sort of, sort of. Sometimes I yeah. see him play, I'm like, you know, I have no idea what you're doing, but you're winning uh, very well. <laughs> and, you know, yeah, um, sometimes I play like um, what they call limited, which is when you uh. don't have the cards from your shoe, backs, uh, shoe box beforehand, but you open mm. packs, basically. And well, you right, do that digitally, yeah. so you collect your deck to play with as you go along. It's a game in itself, and he just manages to build stuff that just wins. And I'm like, I don't really know what I'm doing anymore. Like, <laughs> it's fun, but I'm not really winning lots. I anymore. think the I think the meta changes quite a bit. I think it's kind of one of these games where they're proactively changing the meta and the things that can win a game. And kind of change it round, and they're introducing kind of new mechanics to kind of keep it, kind of keep it kind of fresh. You mentioned, um, you mentioned Keyforge. Yep. Have you been? Has Keyforge? Have you been playing that quite a bit? Then have you been getting involved in Keyforge a little bit? Well, what I really like about Keyforge is that I have three decks, and that's yeah. it. I don't need more. Yeah. But the really nice thing about it is everybody has it. Basically, uh, if I put it in my bag and I show up somewhere, you know, uh, if I go uh, to my D&D night, you know, everybody has Keyforge. So we usually get a game or two in before we actually get to play waiting for other yeah. people. Yeah. If I go to the local game store for board game night, it's the same case. Everybody has it. So um, it's less of a lifestyle game in that sense, more of a connecting kind of thing, because no matter what you usually play, you can play Keyforge. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, which is really nice, and um, yeah, I've been playing it decent amount, and it's yeah, I like it a lot. Yeah, I think what I like about it is that um, you can have two people who have never ever played the kind of a deck, and you can swap decks quite easily. But it's not like you can go away and you could make changes to your deck. So the following week. You know, you've improved your deck so you can definitely win. I think it's one of these things you learn more about the deck and you learn its strengths and weaknesses and you learn how to win kind of that way. And I think that's kind of fresh. And the fact that you could, you could kind of unpack a deck just now 
and still have a really, really good game, regardless of maybe how the deck is, especially if it's like two fresh decks, which I know people would say, well, you can do that in Magic. You just do like a blind, a blind drafting, you know, um, in Magic and you get the same thing. But at least, you know, in Keyforge, the decks have been kind of slightly engineered, you know, to kind of maybe complement each other, which is kind of, which is kind of cool. Um, and you're right, you don't have to buy, you know, if you've got three decks, you know, what's that, 20, you know, 30 euros or something that you've spent? Yeah, something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, and, you you know, if you're talking magic, you could be sinking $30, 30 euros, whatever, into just getting set up for the first time and then be encouraged to go out and get, automatically buy a, buy a couple of sets. So it's pretty, it's pretty kind of cool. You mentioned... Um, after kind of abandoning kind of magic and putting that to one side, um, you started kind of getting more and kind into the kind of the board game kind of scene. Yeah. Um, is there is there anything recently that you you know you've been you've been playing you've been getting to the table you've kind of really been kind of enjoying? Oh yeah, lots of stuff. Um, like this year, uh, I've met new people. Actually, have a lot of the the hero classics, um, stuff like Fidiculture, whatnot, Scythe, uh, and so on. And uh, so, I'm now finally really diving into those things because I don't have them myself, and I've been really enjoying those those uh, well cube shufflers basically. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they're great. Uh, like Concordia, I've, I've been playing and it's, I just love it because I'm very much from an, a merry trashy angle in a sense with training yeah. card games and yeah. I think of World of Warcraft, the board game in my shelf and that oh, kind right. of nonsense. Like, <laughs> yeah, and nonsense. Then, yeah. And then going back to, you know, like, um, to, to Euros and all of those mm. things. Um, I bought Bear Park just, uh, just the other month because it's kind of like, I really need to get myself a tile placement game or whatnot. Yeah. So I'm just, um, even though I've been playing board games and actually getting into it for quite a few years, I'm still just exploring so much because there is so much to, to get through, basically. Is there anything you'd like to get your hands on? Have you seen any games quite recently that you'd like to to kind of play, to kind of get hold of and get to the table? Um, Root. I really want to go play Root. And luckily I have friends who recently bought it, so I'm going to play it soon. But that's one of those games, like every time I'm at the board game store, I'm like, I want this game. Um but, you know, uh, it's one of those games that everybody at the table will want to play it because it's asymmetrical. You don't have the same rules for everybody. So everybody needs to learn the game in their own way, basically, um, which is a bit hard with the people I usually play with. But luckily, I'm going to get that to the table soon, at least. But that's one of the games I really want to get still. Um What's yeah. attractive about it? Is it the gameplay or is it the artwork? Because both. Yeah. Because it looks lovely. It looks amazing. It's so pretty and yeah, it's just amazing. But um, I also uh, my background is in uh, serious gaming and whatnot. That's what I'm I'm studying technically. All right. Okay. And. Um, it has this background in war games and these counterinsurgency stuff and whatnot. And I find it really interesting, but that real stuff, the real deal, the yeah. GMT games, the Holland Spieler, whatnot, yeah. is a bit dense. 
And if I were to get that and I show up, hey, who wants to, you know, replay the French-Algerian war? Everybody's like, <laughs> but, you know, if you show up, you know, who wants to some woodland yeah. insurrection, you know, between human yeah. animals? Everybody's like, yeah, let's do it. So it's the same kind of, in a sense, the same kind of idea of stuff that you're going through, but in an entirely different coding, basically, entirely different theme, which is a lot more attractive and a lot more playable. And, and with board games, like, if you can't get them to the table, you know, because of the people you play with, why do you have them then? You know, it's, they're meant to be played, really. Yeah, I think, um, recently I've known of quite a number of people that, friends that I know through the industry that are actively saying, um, they're going through their collections and they're being quite, ruthless with them and they're actively cleaning out kind of games that they know that they're not going to get to the table like the trophy games yeah so i know of people that have because you see it now and again you'll see people like you know selling a copy of scythe or selling a copy of rising sun or you know games like feudum or something like that and you're just like but these are you know they're they're all really really highly rated Highly yep. kind of renowned, kind of you know, pretty well critically received games, and it's kind of like, why get rid of them? It's like, well, I'll never get them to the table, so what's the point? You know, I've basically taken, I've spent, you know, seventy euros on something I'm never actually ever going to play. I mean, that's kind of like pointless. So I see a lot of people kind of going through this kind of clearing out phase, and I don't know if that's <clears throat> just one of these. I think that's just one of these things that kind of kind of happens is that if you're looking at your board game shelf it's not it's fairly obvious to you if you're looking at it what you've played and what you've not played and I think it's always there it's always right facing you it's always in the corner it's always kind of staring at you saying I've not been played yet why have you not played me and you're just like "Um, I don't know why so I think I've seen a few kind of get it but yeah you should um, I've played I've got Root I've got the expansion. I'm planning on getting whatever else um, leader games kind of gets because um, Root is kind of pretty much one of my favourites and I see all the love it gets. And also I'm kind of gently um, laughing because I know there's probably a whole load of people that would really, really love coin games (laughs) (laughs) if they maybe, you know, and I'm sure um, GMT are thinking, do we do... Should we do a warm, fluffy, you know, pup, puppies yeah. versus kittens kind of version and just reskin one of the games that we've got instead? And I'm wondering if they're kind of maybe, you know, it's maybe not the mechanics, it's maybe the kind of the, it's maybe the kind of the, kind of the theme. Um, what, what got you into the roll and write kind of genre? What was your kind of your story with that, Joey? Oh, yeah, um... Well, basically, um, I actually didn't like him at first. And, uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. Um, my partner really loves them. And, uh, at some point they were like, Oh, do you want to play quicks? Sure. You know, played it a few times. It's kind of like, nah, it's okay. And put it down and, you know, uh, didn't play it for a few months. We got back to it later and we played more of it. And then, uh, at Essen in 2017, we bought Harvest Dice, which I enjoyed more mainly because I started to appreciate it. And I sort of, like, at some point, um, we just started collecting them because I started to like them more and more and more because um, 
they're they're really light games basically and uh, if you're like me from like this background of playing either a bit heavier games or more complex games or whatnot you it's not a you don't always appreciate the lighter stuff mm-hmm. um, so I learned to appreciate them basically and what then happened at some point uh, was like you know what I'm just gonna design one <laughs> uh, and instead of just jumping in, I was like, you know, what I'm going to do first, though, I'm going to like research, I'm going to see what's out there. So that stack of like two and three Roland rights became 20, became 30, became 40, wow. and looking print and plays and like uh, dissecting them, seeing what kind of mechanics are in there and whatnot, and writing up a bit about it, you know, for my own reference. And before I knew it, it was basically just down this rabbit hole of Roland rights, like, Oh man, I know a lot about Roland rights now. Oops. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was really you know funny in a way that you know it's just um, it's it's something I couldn't have happened with any other kind of games. Basically, you know, you can only this could only have happened with like the ten euro Roland right games. You don't go like, oops, I bought twenty you know uh, deck building games, or like, oops, I bought twenty euros. It doesn't really happen that way in like half yeah. a year. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that actually happened. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's really silly when people go, like, oh, you must love them. You must have always loved them. No, no, I just literally didn't like them at first. And, fell, uh, fell down a yeah. rabbit hole and then kind of kept yeah. on collecting them. Basically. For people that are listening and they're saying, I've heard this phrase roll and write, but I have no idea actually what a roll and write is. Could yeah. you... Could you maybe give people, I guess, the kind of the, the kind of the quick introduction if they're sitting there and going, you know, Alley Cat Games did a roll and write. They did their Welcome to Dino World roll and yep. write, and it was very, very popular. But what's a roll and write? So roll and writes are basically uh, small dice games, and uh, like we're going to expand on this, but like for now, they're dice games. Um, kind of like you have dice, you roll them. You do something with them and you write the results down on a sheet. And that basically to the bones is what basically roll and write is. Hmm. Uh, and, and it's not doing it justice, uh, basically. If you have games like Quicks, it's basically roll dice, you get to add dice, you get to mark stuff off on a track, and the more crosses you manage to get on the tracks is how many points you get. Hmm. And that basically at face value is what a roll and write is. Um, but what it does basically is uh, it's very specific in what you can and can't do. Um, if you play quicks, you basically have a, a line of numbers from 2 to 12, and it basically says if you cross off the 6, for example, you cannot cross off anything below that 6. So what you get is basically, yes, you just mark off stuff, but it has a meaning. You have to push your luck. What are the dice going to show you? What's the probability mm-hmm. going to be? Whatnot. And um, basically trying to like do some set collection by, by adding up scores that way, trying to do a bit of uh, pushing your luck. And what it basically makes that work is the fact that what you're writing down is permanent. So if you put down, like Yahtzee is a very old version of Roland Rights, basically like the first, if you put down your score, you can't then go like, oh, yeah, you know what? No, this this my next turn. I really didn't want to do that. I'm just going to uh-huh. do this instead. So you have this sense of permanence, this sense of moving forward in your gameplay at all times um, that, you know, is very uh, not so much unique to roller rides, but it's the thing that makes it tick at the heart of it. And, uh, yeah, so, but if you look at what it is, it's literally 
getting a random thing from like dice or cards mm-hmm. or whatnot, doing something yeah. with it and writing it down in like spaces or like crossing off stuff or whatnot, and that shows some kind of scoring mechanism. Yeah. And, and yeah. the thing about the thing that I've noticed about them is that um it can be down to the interpretation of what you do with the instructions. So for once for instance when I think it was was it Rory Rory Summers, um he was he he wrote I think he wrote a thing for Welcome to Dino World. Um and he said that what you could do is you rolled the dice and it told you whether you were putting down a dinosaur or whether you were putting down a facility, whether you were bringing in visitors. But then yep. it was up to the individual to decide on their separate sheet of paper yep, what exactly. they were doing what they were doing with that. And then at the end of the day, everybody totted up their scores and obviously the person that had... So it's almost like a resource. In some ways it can be like a resource management type of thing. Um does it, with it being a simplistic kind of entry uh, mechanic, you know, uh, um, does does it limit what can actually be done? Do do people kind of um, expand on the basic role and write and start to introduce like components and additional tokens and things like that oh, when they're yeah, doing that? Yeah. Um, there's some bigger games, basically, like Steamrollers. Um, mm-hmm. Like, everybody has their sheets, and there's dice involved, but also tokens and all sorts of other stuff. Um, there's a dice game version of La Granja, which also has, like, tokens and tracks. You're moving resources mm-hmm. up and down, all sorts of stuff. And um, what you see... Well, there's been more complex ones over the years and more simpler ones over the years, but... Um, I do feel people are experimenting with what it means, basically. Uh, it's what yeah. you saw with Welcome To, for example. You know, that was a really big one. Yeah. Because it was one of the really big ones where we're like, no, we're not using dice, we're using a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that means, because you have different probabilities for making different stacks, you get different choices because of it, with objective yeah. cards, uh, all sorts of stuff. Um, and I do feel that people are trying to, to uh, do new things with it. Um, and that's also, you know, um, I'm also working on some projects right now that are, are doing that as well. Um, I'm working right now on a game that's basically a deck build and write. So you, uh, instead of just rolling dice, you're deck building and then using what comes out of that to write. And so there's all sorts of different stuff you can do with it. As long as, you know, you go like, we're doing something that gives us a value and that's going to be written down somewhere. So, there's lots of room where you can take all of the bits and do something new with it entirely. So, how did you get involved from kind of falling down the rabbit hole to um, kind of getting involved in kind of Inkwell games? I mean, how did that kind of come about? Oh, that's also a really long story. Um, so, the owner of my local game store, um, also is a game designer. Well, used to design games and has published a few. Mm-hmm. And um, because he he pub- used to publish games, he has a store, so he's decently well-connected. Um, and he knew that I was working on all of this stuff. So at some point, I show up in the store, and he's like, hey, yeah. this uh, publisher came by and told him about you, and uh, here's his phone number. You can give him a phone call. 
<laughs> so uh, I did so, went to the publisher, you know, to the office, had yeah. a nice chat about roller rights and everything, which was lovely. You know, we'd see what we could do together. And what we wanted to do is basically make a book of roller rights in a sense. Um, and uh, long story short, you know, we ended up not, not doing that at that point. You know, it's uh, we couldn't get it to work in a sense that would work for the publisher. Um, and then I was sitting at home and I was like thinking, you know what? I'm going to do it myself, you know, uh, mm-hmm. why not? And this is no joke. It's too pre- beautiful to be coincidence. The same day, I get a message from Odin. Odin Fong, the other half of um, of Inkwell. Yeah. Hey, I want to make this book with Roller Ride Games. Do you happen <laughs> to know people? Oh, <laughs> uh, So it's like, well, it's your mm. lucky day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's that's how it started, really, and that's uh, you know how we uh, uh, you know um, got to know each other. You know, went to work together, and you know at a breakneck pace, got everything set up. Basically, did so, you uh, um, yeah. did you find out where he had hidden the camera in your house um, from when he was spying on you? Then did you <laughs> did you? Did you ever, <laughs> ever figure that out? Um, no, no. Like I've been going through the house with this bug finder all day, but you know, all I found was faulty <laughs> wiring, and you know, it, I never managed to find it. Now, maybe it was magic. Maybe you know, who knows? <laughs> so, who? I mean, in terms of the the design of the games and putting together the book, did you did you decide then to completely design all the games that were going in the book? yourselves or have you kind of involved other people in kind of uh, bringing the role and write games together well what we're doing for this this project the dyson inc you know uh, the book mm-hmm. is that we just um basically did a call for pitches so we were like you know we have somebody who is going to do the publishing angle we have somebody who knows a lot about roller and write games and um, we'll just see, you know, what designers are up for that, basically, to do this. Um, mm-hmm. We did a call for pitches, and we had really, you know, uh, lots of people showing up. Hey, I wanna, I wanna make a roller right with you. Yeah. So we basically told them, send us a pitch of what you want to do. So yeah. don't send us your full game. Don't like if you have a game shelf, sure, fine, but. Uh, just what do you want to do and we'll see what we can do and there were really you know uh, lots of response to that um, and we basically uh, everybody that we felt like these are nice people we did a quick background check and we looked at what they wanted to do as sort of what ideas they had and we we're like yes or no and um, so we are now with designers who are making a game we're supporting them uh, doing play testing providing feedback uh, I'm doing layouts and whatnot uh, at a slightly later stage. We'll be doing external playtesting for them and whatnot. Um, uh, basically, so yeah, we're working with designers who are making, uh, who designed a Ronan, right? Basically, because making 20 or 25 games yourself is like, that's, that's much. <laughs> that's just, yeah, that's just a little bit of a, it's a bit of a big ask, isn't it? Yeah. So, so is that why um, is that why you're looking for things like um, Scrapyard Robot, yeah, and uh, uh, Constellations as well? Yeah, um, you're you kind of actively actively getting people for externally 
to yourselves, kind of getting them to kind of um, kind of play test it. Then, um, yeah. what's the response been like? I know it's it's obviously only been a couple of weeks since you've you've asked for help, but is there quite a vibrant kind of roll and write community on say board game geek? I mean, is there a Facebook group? For I, roles and I have to and be entirely honest. Um, I'm only on Twitter. Like I don't right. do Facebook anymore because uh-huh. I um, um, I've been in a few groups on Facebook and I've left again because yeah no um, yeah <laughs> sometimes yeah, no. the level on there was just um, how do you say not really high. Uh, Basically, you know, uh, maybe you know the the SpongeBob meme. You know, is mayonnaise an instrument? Basically, yeah. that kind of level of of discourse about roll and rights. Basically, like there is a pencil involved. Is this a roll and write? You know, and then yeah, um, yeah, and it's really hard to get like a nice discussion going or whatnot if you just have to keep going back to the same points over and over. Um, so I left those groups again. Uh, because it was just eating too much time and didn't really feel like, you know, um, like having to do the, you know, explain what a roll and write is like 20 times. Yeah, and Board yeah. Game Geek is just a place I use as a resource, really. Like I look up stuff, but I'm not active on Board Game Geek. It's a bit too, um, too, there, it's a bit too much, basically. There's everything is on there and like a lot of games, a lot of forums and the site is one mess and, Navigating it is not my my idea of a good good time. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm just using Twitter basically, um, you know. Uh, and on Twitter, at least, there's like a really big community of people who love playing and making uh, these games. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, people like Benny Sperling, um, Suzanne Sheldon is of course actually the roll and write expert. Uh-huh. Um, like all sorts of people and. Um, yeah, everybody is very much involved in it and people are making all sorts of new things and talking to each other and whatnot. And it's, if you basically just follow on Twitter, just have a, an alert for the term roll and write, you'll basically find everything already. Uh, all right, okay. And uh, yeah, and it's it's a lot. It's very nice. And um, to illustrate basically how big it is, we did, um, I did a roll and write jam last year with yeah. um, Robert David. Also, the designer of uh, Tag City, which is a great game, yeah. and um, we were like, you know what? Let's do a game jam. Let's let have people make roller rides, and we're gonna uh-huh. basically, you know, jam it. And um, and we were like, ah, it's gonna be twenty games at best. <laughs> that that's it. That you know, like how many people could it be? And we got almost sixty games. Wow. Um, yeah, that was a bit wow. Yeah, like we were completely overwhelmed, like completely. We had no idea what to do with so many games. All of a sudden, it was it was very much. <laughs> so uh, yeah. yeah, like um, there is a lot more than you think, basically, uh, because the medium is so accessible. All you need is a sheet of paper to design something on and some dice, really, to to enter this arena. And if you look at like saying deck making a deck building game, there's so much yeah. design involved before you can actually start playing. Or like a very big complex euro, there's so much design involved before you can, you know, before you have something on the table. And roll and rights are really quick to iterate, really quick to get to the table. So it's because it's that accessible, everybody can join in basically. Do you think it's also down to like what we were talking about earlier 
about, you know, having a pile of games that you've not played yet. And yet something like a roll and write is, I mean, you could, I mean, it sounds like it's like it's, well, some of them, the kind of the barrier to entry is an awful, an awful lot lower. I mean, you know, you're talking Yahtzee, which I suppose is, you know, as you said, it was one of the original kind of roll and writes. So a lot of, I guess a lot of the roll and writes are a case of roll the dice, refer to the reference sheet, write down what you're going to be doing with the potential yeah. actions that you can kind of make. So it gives a kind of a low, a low kind of barrier to entry. So there seems to be a lot more, not interest as such, but I think that as a genre, it seems to have been highlighted an awful lot more in the last kind of 12 to 18 months. Have you noticed that yourself, that there's been a kind of a generally an awful lot more interest in the genre, uh, or is it, or has it just been the case that well, it's always been the same? It's just that they're it's the kind of as a as a kind of a genre and a mechanic. It's kind of getting maybe a, a little bit more coverage than it used to. Um, I think it's a bit of everything that that mm. that, that works with each other. Um, a few years ago, like two years ago, the entire genre exploded. Basically, mm-hmm. we got a lot of games all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, if you go to Board Game Geek, you know, sort per year, you see that like 2016, 17, 18, a lot more games than the years before. Um, it's like, but not by like 20%, 30%, no, but even like, if you look at what's basically there from Yahtzee, which is from the 60s, still Quicks, which is uh, 2012. Yeah. Uh, I think it's about 20. Yeah. And then if you look past, like past, 2012 like it could be 30 maybe like but it's it's not that much and mm. i think by now we have like uh managed to triple maybe quadruple the, the amount of entries if not actually more in the entire genre um because it just picked up and um since 2012 2012 we when we had quicks it's basically like oh this is stuff we can actually do in the sense that we can make new real really cool games yeah i feel you know, uh, and you had a lot of these German roller rights coming out, and that you still have, like uh, all of the companies you see coming out now, companies like the Nuremberger Spieleverlag, um, who made Quicks and whatnot, and uh, now have Quantum last year, and have new stuff coming up. They've got yeah. uh, a game with Phil Walker Harding coming up this year. So the same companies still doing the same thing, just keep going on doing that, but so many more have entered the arena. Um, but because there's so much more games basically now than it used to be, there's gonna there's more coverage. Because there's more coverage, there's more players. Because there are more players, yeah. there's more you know demand for it. So it feeds onto each other to to basically increase. And then we also have that we have apps now. We can now put a roller right on your phone. Yeah, uh, I suppose. Which yeah. is what we see with uh, guns from clever and a double so clever, um, which yeah, no, are yeah. yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. Like, uh, those are games you actually need to play on your phone, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I suppose it makes it accessible as well, because I guess um, a roll and write is potentially a game that everybody could install on their phone, and then you could just join a group match, and then there'd be a central dice pool that would roll, and then you could carry out the actions within your, 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 your phone itself. But I guess the other thing that 
would be attractive about rolling right is I guess it, it kind of would be supported by a lot of the the print and play kind of sites mm-hmm. as well. That I mean, yeah. let's face it, unless unless you're looking at absolutely kind of customized dice. <laughs> um, well, if you look at um, um, like, there's a lot of print and play stuff happening. Uh, if uh-huh. you look at Buttonshy, um, they did yeah. uh, a board game of the month club with uh, Robin Gibson basically making uh, these roll and write games that are just one sheet of paper, um, one every month, basically. Um, if you look at, uh, and now Chris Anderson from Blue Cube Board Games is now uh, picking up that mantle, basically, for this year with the entire Diceless Roll and Writes, the, the Tempest series. Um, if you look at Print and Play Arcade, which is a relatively new, um, well, provider of print and play games, has a lot of roller rights on their uh, entire pinball series. All of the button shy stuff that was first on their own website is now on there. Uh, so there's like a lot of print and play happening. And if you go to Board Game Geek, um, there's also a lot of free print and plays just out there. Games like yeah. Thirty Rails, um, Utopia Engine. Although I can't really recommend that one. It's a bit <laughs> baroque. Uh, it's a bit big. It's a bit you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's, Over there's ambitious. A lot, a lot going on there. Let's put it like that. It's really nice uh, for what yeah. it's trying to do, but people either love it or they don't. And I don't think there's a in between. And I'm in a camp that doesn't like it. Uh, <laughs> it's really, but, um, it's really yeah. strange you've mentioned uh, Chris Anderson because literally two minutes before I started speaking to you, Joey, I was speaking to Chris <laughs> about <laughs> him coming on the show. So he's going to be um, he's going to be a making appearance at some time at the uh, at the end of March. So that's because uh, because yeah. you said oh Chris Anderson, you went all right from um, from yeah. Blue Cube, and I was like oh let me just check, let me just check, <laughs> and it's, it's exactly the same person. So yeah, Chris yeah. is going to be um, he's going to be coming on. Um, I think talking about the he's talking about the I think the competition that yep. they're going to be running. Um, they're doing the design contest for 2019. Um, yeah, so we're going to be having a we're going to be having a chat um, later on into into March about it. So that's kind of so that's kind of cool. Um, in terms of you kind of designing yourself, I mean, is rolling right? Is that going to be your jam? I mean, would you consider going into kind of anything else, any other type of genre? Is there still that kind of attraction to yours? Roll and write kind of really become your thing. Um, yes and no. Like roll and write is kind of really my thing, uh, but I'm also doing other stuff basically. Uh, the nice thing about roll and writes is you can easily get them as a side project as just chugs along. Um, yeah, but I'm also doing other stuff. I'm working on this big dungeon crawler right now for this uh, company here in Amsterdam. Um, I have my own medium weight Euro game that's been lying, basically not doing anything for half a year, but that one's based on my farming sims like Harvest Moon and Stardew Valley. Uh, oh, yeah. I yeah. to see a new iteration. Yeah. Um, all, all sorts of stuff, really. I've got this, um, basically, this dice game lying around that is um, Elder Sign, but then bank robbing. That needs to re-theme. Uh, like, there's so much that I have on my plate, basically, projects-wise. Uh, some active, some inactive. Uh, 
But the nice thing about roller rides is they take relatively little time or can be squ- uh, can be can be sort of like pressed into like lost hours in a way that bigger projects can't really. Uh, I can't if I have a really big dungeon crawler that takes two hours. I can go like, oh well, half an hour. Let's do a playtest. Yeah. Uh, but with roller rides, yeah, the game takes thirty minutes at the most if you have people who need to think a lot. So yeah, yeah. Um, you can work really quickly with that and that's why i'll keep doing that um, especially always will have one active that i'm working on i'm actually working on two right now um, but it's not something i will solely do mm-hmm, basically mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean is this something that you're kind of pushing towards making kind of like your full-time kind of career your full-time job uh, yeah basically yeah um, in my my background, uh, like I'm still finishing up a master's in game studies, uh-huh. so I'm already in that arena, basically, um, sort of. But then um, not so much in board games. That was my own decision. But the entire uh, game design is basically what I'm, yeah, in academically speaking as well. So uh, yeah, all right, yeah. Would be great if it works, but you know, if it doesn't, uh, <laughs> there's all, lots of stuff you know uh, I can be doing. But it yeah. would be lovely, yeah. Yeah. So your your plan is um, you're bringing some you're bringing um, games to Kickstarter. Then I mean, what's what's the plan with that then? Uh, the plan with that is basically uh, this first project, Dyson Inc. We're going to bring to Kickstarter, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Mainly because we're a new company, and because that way. Um, we can work with lower costs beforehand, basically. We, can, we don't need to make a print run like of so many hundred copies before we, uh, you know, before we have the funds for that and whatnot. And it's very, mm-hmm. for us right now, it's a very safe way to test the waters, basically. Um, and what I like about Kickstarter is, um, is it's, it's basically... Um, like it's a crowdfunding platform, but for the board game world, it's basically one of the main outlets right now for board games. Yeah. Um, that takes marketing, that takes uh, effort. You know, it's not like you have a built-in audience as soon as you like open up Kickstarter. That's not how it works. Um, but what's really nice about it is that, especially for like a small company like us or like somebody who has designed a game and wants to bring it to people is that there is still this possibility of doing that that way. And, um, yeah, the other way around is basically um, just printing it, spending a lot of money doing that, trying to get distribution and whatnot beforehand. Um, It's very expensive to do, I think, right now. Um, Yeah, and that's why we're going for Kickstarter. And um, I think that Kickstarter basically is getting a bit full right now. Well, yeah. What we've noticed because we were trying to find a nice time to put our Kickstarter project and yeah. like Good luck with you, that. Yeah, like there there are no more good times to put your game on, basically, because there's always no. a new one by Cool Mini or not. There's always this cool new thing, you know. It's there's no more good times. I mean, yeah, I mean there's times, but yeah. <laughs> there's guys that are like becoming just like regular um you know, they're becoming like regulars on Kickstarter. I mean um, like Alley Cat Games, for instance. I mean, you know, they did Welcome to Dino World, but they've got um, 
they've got Chocolate Factory on at the moment. They had Coral Island kind of before that, and so they seem to be constantly, um, they seem to be constantly kind of have some kind of project running, and um, to date, the stuff that they're putting out there seems to be kind of absolutely fantastic as well, and I think what we're starting to see is um, regular, not. It's not middle of the road guys, but I think we're seeing regular um, guys that aren't cool mini or not um, kind of having regular kind of Kickstarters, guys that are making, you know, at least seventy or $80,000 on Kickstarter, um, which is a good thing. Unfortunately, as yep. you say, what it means is that um, it's becoming a much tougher kind of situation for you just to avoid the three or four projects that the big guys are coming on and you just have to I guess jump in with both feet and see how you're kind of how you're kind of getting on um I take it but I guess one of the things with Kickstarter and if it's going to be a roll and write that you're going to be doing I guess that the cost for getting the games produced isn't going to be prohibitively expensive I'm guessing uh, no, as um, like what I've been told and what I've also seen, um, expensive bits are like you know uh, the dice, the minis, mm-hmm. the whatnot. You know, uh, cardboard mm-hmm. to an extent, but mainly because you usually get it printed in China, then have to ship it over, and it's heavy. Yeah. And um, but basically, the more components a game has, the more expensive it gets, which is a truism, like, obviously. Um, and Ronald writes really light on that. Um, that doesn't mean there are not projects like On Tour, which is a really big box full of cardboard and stuff that's actually pretty heavy for Ronald Wright. Um, or games like um, that feature custom dice and a lot of player boards and fancy markers and uh, like making it a premium product. Um, even Ronald Wrights you can make expensive if you want to, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we're doing, we're saying that we're on Kickstarter, which is mm-hmm. a certain audience because you, um, the people who show up every once in a blue moon at the local board game store to buy Catan or Carcassonne are not on Kickstarter. Yeah. Uh, you're already talking to board game enthusiasts. And especially with something like Roller Rides, because there's so much on offer already, um, the people going to show up to a Kickstarter and look at what you're doing are already the people who are interested in it. Yes. Um, so yeah. what we did, we made a decision, we're going to do a book, basically, rather than a boxed game. So it's a book mm-hmm. with all sorts of games in it, different games, and you basically have the rules and the sheet, and we gave instructions to the designers. The dice and everything you use needs to be stuff people have lying around. Yes. Basically. And because they're, these people are already board game enthusiasts, you can assume they have six sided dice around. You can assume that most likely they will have a polyhedral set. Don't ask yeah. for 20, 20 sided dice. That's very, that, that's a bit much. But you can say, hey, you know, uh, get a six sided die and an eight sided die. Um, and what that does basically, it allows us to uh, print in places where you otherwise couldn't, because we're printing a book and not so much an entire board game that needs to be boxed, special labels and whatnot. So we're doing something really different than what people are usually doing in this space, um, mainly because we don't need the components. We're just doing a book. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, yeah, and that is a, 
experimental, really. That's We also don't know how that's going to go, how people are going to really respond to that, because it's new. Nobody has went like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make yeah, a book. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're also really curious how that's going to go. Cool. Now, um, I, can, I mean, I can only wish you kind of best of luck kind of going forward with the the project itself. Mm-hmm. Um, if people have listened along tonight and they want to keep an eye on what you're up to and what you're doing, um, where can we find you on the interweb nets? Um, well, you can find me on my, my me personally uh, on my uh, Twitter account, which is um, at a Joey Vengeant, uh, which is a horrible pun on mm-hmm. a magic card. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's that old. Um, <laughs> and um, you can find Inkwell Games on at Inkwell Games, and also uh, right now still on our uh, website inkwellgames.wordpress.com. Okay. But it should be inkwellgames.com soon. Uh, you know, just taking everything one step at a time, and that's where you can find us. But I would recommend following us on Twitter, following me directly. You know, if you like roller ride games that are not so much per se um, the company, because I also just write about them. I don't do reviews. I just do lots of retweeting and talking about them when I get the chance. Uh, All right. Okay. I've got a, a sort of like a, a reference book for roller rides that I'm working on that I'm going to put online at some point, you know, about what are roller rides, what are the games that are in it, um, yeah. what mechanics, whatnot. So if you're interested in all that kind of stuff, you know, uh, yeah, just a quick Twitter follow is usually uh, the best way to go about it. Okay, cool, cool. Well, what we'll do is we will take those links and put them in the show notes so that we have notes to show. Um if you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, then go to the Googles. And uh, if you search for We're Not Wizards, um, you'll find us on Twitter, you'll find us on Facebook, you'll find us on Instagram, you'll find our website, we're not wizards.com, our blog, which is we're not wizards.blogspot.com. There's a couple of articles that have gone up quite recently on them. If you want to check out, that'd be fantastic. Um, you can catch us on the normal kind of podcast catchers, which is your Stitchers and Spreakers and Acast and Spotify and all those wonderful places. If you like what you've listened to tonight um, and you want to get in contact, you can um, you can send us a direct message through Twitter because our DMs are open. And you can send us an email, which is magic at wearenotwizards.com. Um or you can, well, if you like what you've listened to tonight, there's a couple of things you can do. You can um, tell other people about it. And the other thing that you can do is if you go to Apple Podcasts, you can give us a rating or a review. And as we say, if you are giving us a rating or a review, then um, don't give us 10 stars because that'll make us big headed. But um, at the same time, don't give us one star, because that'll make us cry. Give us um, give us something in the middle, like a five, because it's average, and we're just a little bit average. Um, but the person who's not been average tonight is rather wonderful, rather fantastic, um, Joey Houghton. Um, thank you very, very much for joining us, Joey. It's been... Um, it's been an absolute um, 
pleasure. There's only um, two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Joey? No, we're not. We're not wizards. Definitely. Say it. Can you say it in Dutch, please? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we zijn geen tovenaars. There you go. We zijn geen tovenaars. There you go. Okay, and then the <laughs> I've just butchered that language <laughs> completely. And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Joey. Say goodbye, Joey. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from me. Remember, uh, stay safe, roll sixes, and. Uh, don't try and copy somebody who's just said something Dutch, because you've probably said something else instead entirely. But I until the next, <laughs> but until the next time, goodbye. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to.